Okay. Turn to Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. Something happens when we win. Something happens when we win. Um, you're going to see a video at the end as well. So we're just going to kind of, I'm going to do like a sermon sandwich. Is that cool? Um, so we'll have this video of Family Feud just come back and they win. And then we'll have one at the end as well just to kind of drive home um, the point. We, we've taken 13 weeks over the summer and we've done this thing called an unseries. And we've had these different unwords. And um, this morning's unword is unashamed. We're going to wrap it up. With unashamed, um, we already prayed about next week. You know, we're we're launching this season of of two services. Things won't be the same. A, a lot of us are are all in, aren't we? We're um, just think back over some of the, some of the unwords that we looked at this summer that we did not plan. Again, our, the whole point of this was to. To try to just take this week by week, to try to just to pray and say to God, okay, today, like what are you saying today, right? What, what do you want me to, what do you want us to teach this morning? And so here's just some of the unwords that came up during the summer. I'm unwavering. A lot of us were choosing to be unwavering in our commitment to an uncontainable kingdom. Uncontainable kingdom is one of our core values here at the gathering. The kingdom of God is growing in a way that we cannot, nor should we even try to contain. It's bigger than us. Um, a lot of us are undone by Jesus. A lot of us are undone by his presence. And so we're willing to play the fool. We talked about King David dancing <clears throat> in his underwear. <clears throat> I thought about doing that as a video as well, but you don't want to see me in my underwear, even if it does have monograms on it, right? We talked about how King David danced literally in his underwear because he was, he was undone. By the presence of God. He was so thrilled to have the presence of God. And he was undignified before men. A lot of us are choosing to be undignified before men so that we can be unleashed by God to men. We're doing two services for one very simple reason. We've experienced something from Jesus that's too good to be quiet about. Right? I mean, it's possible that you're here and you're like, no, I haven't experienced anything from Jesus yet. That's okay. You will. But for a lot of us, what we've learned is this is too good to be quiet about. Paul, who wrote the Bible, the real Paul, he knew this as well. So he, he wrote these words. These are the words that are going to wrap up the whole unseries. The entire summer, these are the words. And so when you leave today, my prayer is that you'll forget what I say, but you'll remember what Paul said. Here's what Paul said. I am not ashamed of the gospel. He was unashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Our last word is Unashamed. Here's the thing. Shame is a powerful tactic of the enemy. Let me, let me show you. I want you to close your eyes. I'm not going to come take your wallet. I know I've been in these services where the pastor goes, close your eyes. And, and everybody's like, really? Does he really mean close your eyes? I really, just close your eyes for a second, okay? I'm going to ask you to visualize something. Are you ready? I want you to visualize 
Something that you have done in the past that you, are, you cannot believe you did it. And if everybody in this room right now could look in your mind, you would want to run out of this room screaming. Let me give you an example while your eyes are closed. In my past, I have had an issue with rage. And I remember one time when Parker was about two years old. And we were standing at the front door, and I asked him to do something, and he wouldn't do it, and I pushed him. I, I didn't push him hard, but I pushed him hard for a two-year-old, and I'll never forget watching him step back and trip over the threshold and land on his back, just about ready to go down the brick steps. And it was like, in a moment, oh God, what have I, what have I done? For me, there, I mean, well, there you go. I just told you what it was. The feeling that we feel right now when we think, what if they knew? That feeling is shame. You can open your eyes. That's, that feeling is shame. And I'm telling you right now, it's the most powerful weapon that your enemy has. Where he can make you feel shamed over something you've done in the past. He can make you feel shamed over something that you've thought. He uses it to try to cripple us, nullify us, and hinder us. But God is the lifter of our heads. There's just something about Jesus. He just is able to remove shame. He's able to show us that what we gain is greater than any shame. I love that. about How does Jesus do that? How does Jesus come into this moment where we have our head down low over shame and he just like lifts it and he makes us see him and he doesn't do this. He loves us. We've gained a lot as followers of Jesus. Um, Think about that family feud video. I kept thinking if I was in that video, what part would I play? I want to say that I'm the hero that gets all the number one answers, right? But if I look at my life, I think I'm the dude in the cowboy hat, right? I'm saying cabbage. Something green that people eat. Cabbage, you know? I'm doubling my point total with a two. That's probably me. And, And here's what I want you to remember today. All of us have been there. And all of us may very well be there again. It's very possible, although I don't think so because God's bigger than this, but it's possible that next week I could stand up here at 9 o'clock and preach to two people. And I'll feel like the guy that says cabbage, right? It's possible. All of us are going to be in situations where we are shamed. We fail. We blow it. And what I love about that is what a great picture of what Jesus does. Of how even in our worst circumstance, somehow he brings victory out of that. So here's just real quick, five things. Five things that we never have to be ashamed of as followers of Jesus, okay? We're going to blitz through these. Five things that we never have to be ashamed of. Here's number one. Mark chapter 8, 38. Jesus said this. That if we're ashamed of his word, he would be ashamed of us. Now, that's a negative way of saying this. Guys, we don't ever have to be ashamed of what Jesus said. We never have to be ashamed of what Jesus said. 
Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody where they're talking to you about something and you've got the perfect verse in your head to tell them? And you're just like, I don't know if I want to say that. What Jesus is saying is, say it. Never be ashamed of his word. Never be ashamed to tell people, I believe that what the Bible says is legit. A lot of people will want to make fun of us because we, they think we don't have any brains. Oh, you're one of those Bible people. You ride the short bus. No, I'm a Bible person because for a lot of reasons, but just one of them, one of them is this. We're not going to go into a whole sermon on why the Bible is reliable, but I'll just drop this in there for you. There's more textual evidence that the Bible that you're holding in your hand is legit than there is that Shakespeare wrote Romeo and Juliet. Share that with your English teacher. She'll give you an F. Like, you'll say that to your, your teacher and, and eyeballs will start to bulge. Their head will start to spin. And they'll want to kill you. That's like English blasphemy, right? But there's more textual criticism that this is authentic than there is in Shakespeare. I'm just telling you, look, you don't have to be ashamed that you believe the Bible. You don't have to be ashamed that Jesus spoke words. It's okay to say to somebody, the Bible says. Here's a few things that we get out of the word. Romans 15, 4, you can just jot these down if you want to. Romans 15, 4 says that the word encourages us and leads us to hope. I'm always amazed at the people that will tell me, I don't have any hope. Like, you, you know, do you know believers like that? Like Christians that love Jesus and they never smile. Do you know any of those people? Like, I just, I just can't get happy. I can't get happy in Jesus. I don't even know what happy in Jesus means, right? But do you ever read the Bible? Well, no, I don't really understand it. Do you have a version besides the King James? No. Well, first, let me get you a version you can understand, and you can read that. And if you read that, the Bible actually says that it will encourage you and lead you to hope. Far better than any medication. It's amazing what the Bible can do when you just read it. Something else it does. Psalm 119.05 says it's a, it's a light to our path. The Bible directs us. You've never prayed this before, but, oh God, what's your will for my life, right? Like, you want to know the will of God for your life? Read the Bible. His word directs us. In John 8, 31, 32, Jesus said this, that you would know the truth and the truth would set you free. The Bible leads us to freedom. There's just three things the Bible does. You never have to be ashamed of the word of God. Never have to be ashamed of what Jesus said. Number two, you don't have to be ashamed of what Jesus did. We already, we already mentioned this verse, Romans 1.16. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. You never have to be ashamed of what Jesus did. Now, what Jesus said is the Bible. What Jesus did is the gospel. What is the gospel? Just in a nutshell, what's the gospel? How, how about, let's try, let's try this, okay? This is the gospel. We sinned, but God saved. Jesus died, but rose again. We repent. We follow him. That's the gospel, right? It's like 12 words or something. Gospel, and it's it. We sinned. We got no shot. And Jesus came and died on a cross 
rose again, paid for our sins, and we choose to follow him. That's the gospel. The gospel says there's no way I can get there without Jesus. Never have to be ashamed of the gospel. We can never be ashamed to point people to the cross, even though the gospel will not make sense to them. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that the message of the cross is foolishness to man. You know why? Um, let's see. How many women know a guy, not necessarily saying it's the one that you're next to or married to, but you know a guy, and sometimes you just want to share your heart with them. You just want to tell them how you feel. I had a bad day. And once you say that, the man starts to do what? They start to fix it, right? Because men like to fix stuff. You're sitting there at the dinner table, and you're like, I just got a coworker. And, like, they're always coming in my office, and they just start talking about their problems, and I just can't stand it. And the guy's like, just punch them. Just punch them. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, whatever you find to do with your hand, do it with all your might. Like, just punch them. What? I didn't really want you to tell me what to do. I just want to share my feelings. Can't you just support me? Yeah, punch them. Guys are fixers, right? And so that's why we hate the cross. Do you, do you see that? That's why the message of the cross is foolishness to man. Because the cross stands as a symbol that says, you can't fix that. And we hate that. Because nothing makes us feel more helpless than that. You want to drive a guy crazy? Tell him all the problems and then tell him there's nothing he can do to fix it. He'll be like twitching on the couch, you know, smoke coming out of his ears, freaking out. The message of the cross is foolishness to man. You've got family members, you've got friends, you've got coworkers. You know that they need Jesus. You know that they need the gospel. They just don't know it yet. So when you share the gospel with them, they're kind of like, uh, thanks. Like, if it's okay with you, I'm going to just kind of, I'm going to take that and I'm going to kind of put it in my back pocket just in case I need it down the road. And you're like, dude, you need it now. No, but I mean, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I know that I'm holding a toilet throwing up in it right now and that my, my vomit is where people's crap was, but I'm good. I don't need Jesus yet. The God, I'm just letting you know, don't be ashamed of the gospel, even though when you share it, they're looking at you like, what? Don't be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to save. The gospel says this, Jesus did not come to be a good man. He did not come to be a good example. He came because all men are lost and need to be found. Luke 19.10, that was Jesus' mission. I came to seek and to save what was lost. So we've got to always unapologetically and unashamedly call people to, to what Jesus did for them. Even as a church, as your pastor, I have got to, God's convicted me, I have got to, every single Sunday, I've got to find a way to unashamedly call people in this house to follow Jesus. I mean, it's not enough for us to get together and go, that was the best service ever and you're a great preacher, but we didn't ask anybody to follow Jesus. I mean, if I ask and nobody responds, that's, I can't help that, right? But it's on us to never be ashamed of the gospel. Because it is, not the preaching, not the worship, the gospel is the power to save. 
Don't be ashamed of what Jesus said. Don't be ashamed of what Jesus did. Don't be ashamed, number three, of what we say. Uh, just keep your finger, if you want to, in Romans 1 and just jot over a couple books to the right, the 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, um, Paul's writing to his protege, and Timothy is in a tough spot. He's pastoring a church that's got a lot of opinions and a lot of false teaching, and he's like, ah, I don't know what to do, and that's why Paul says stuff like, you know, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit to punch people. <laughs> he didn't do that, really. So I gave you a spirit of courage, sound mind, discipline. So, so everything we read here, he's giving him, like, here's things that you can say, things that you can do in your church. And I love that as a pastor, right? I mean, not because I want to punch y'all, but because as a pastor, you just like, hey, tell me what to say. This is great. So here we are in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And here's what Paul writes to Timothy in verse 8. He says, so do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Don't be ashamed to tell your story, right? We just call testimony stories here. Everybody likes to tell their story. Don't be ashamed to tell your story. The story of what Jesus has done in your life actually has the power to break other people free. Revelation 12, 11 says that we overcome by two things. The blood of the lamb, that's Jesus on the cross. It doesn't make sense to the world. And the power of our testimony. So that's half the equation, right? Like you share your testimony. You share what Jesus is doing in your life, what he has done in your life. That thing when you put your head down and you visualize the shame moment for you, when Jesus lifted your head from that and you share that with other people, people start doing this. Do what? He can do that in my life too. We overcome by sharing our story. Never be ashamed to tell your story. We get embarrassed and look down when we should be empowered and speak up. Let me say that again. We get embarrassed and look down when we should be empowered and speak up. I used to take teenagers on mission trips. You know, the teenagers that are like this. Don't make me speak to anybody. And I say, look, I don't have control over this. We're going to be in a church service, and the pastor or the missionary is going to look at you and say, hey, Tyler, come give a message. And the kids, their eyes are like, what? It's when you like hide under your pew. You're in math class, and a teacher calls for somebody to give an answer, and you look down instead of raising your hand. I'm just letting you know, as one who panics easily in those situations, I get it. But this is not the time, church, to panic in fear. This is a time to speak up in power. Never be ashamed of your story. Never be ashamed to share what Jesus has done in your life. Let me ask you this. What has Jesus done for you in this place? What has Jesus done for you in a place called the gathering? What if right now I went, Jan, give us a testimony. Do you have one? Are you ready? Are you ready to step up and say, here's my story? If it's half the equation of how we overcome, we can't afford to be quiet here. We actually, as a church, Jan's still like, her breathing level's going down right now, right? We actually need to come to church prepared for that. 
Because maybe I don't give the pulpit up on a Sunday, but it's possible at the end of Sundays, when I call people to follow Jesus, that they end up talking to you. And you have the story that is their story. And you start to share it with them, and they're like, wow, like when the pastor was talking, I wasn't even listening. But now that you're talking, like you're just, like we're 20s. We're just identical, and like if he, did it, if he can do it for me, if he can do it for you, I, that's the power of your testimony, not the power of the pastor's preaching. Never be ashamed. Always be prepared. Number four, never be ashamed of what we face. Paul encouraged Timothy not to be ashamed of the things that he would face, or of the things that Paul was facing. Um, I, <laughs> we're talking about telling stories, right? So sometimes when we tell stories, do you ever feel ashamed of your testimony? Because it, you're, or not even your testimony, you just feel ashamed of your life because it doesn't seem to be the normal Christian life. Am I the only guy like, like I feel that way? Like what, what is a normal Christian? They smile all the time, right? Sorry, tongue in cheek. <laughs> we, we think this is what normal Christians are. They read their Bible 14 hours a day, they pray the other 10, had to do some quick math there, they never sleep, they always fast, they are at church every time the doors are open and want to be, they always tell people about Jesus, they never, they never um, look at a bill and wonder how they're going to pay it, right? We think this is the normal Christian life. They never have bad days. My life just doesn't match that. I mean, am I the only one? Do I need to step down off the platform? I have bad days. I have days when things don't feel like they're working out the way I think the Christian life should look. Sometimes what happens is we, we, we get so ashamed of that. We think it should be a certain way. And so our own sufferings, we want to hide those, don't we? So here's what happens, okay? Let me see if I describe the cycle of your life. When things are going really, really, really well, like when you know, when, when I was in youth group, my youth pastor would always ask us every time he saw us, what's God telling you lately? So if I had been reading the Bible for the whole week before youth group, guess what I wanted him to ask me? What's God showing you lately? Because I had an answer, baby. But what if I went a week and didn't read my Bible? What would I do? I avoided him. If I even went to youth group. Sometimes that's the cycle of our life, isn't it? Like, we see your face here when things are going great. But sometimes, like, if we don't see you for a week or two or three, uh, it's a hard thing going on. Somebody, maybe somebody failed, and so they feel like, we, I, can't show up my, I can't show up at church because I failed. And here's what I want you to get, and this might be the most important part for some of us here, is that when Paul was in prison, when Paul was living out the unnormal, as far as we would think, Christian experience, he never stopped testifying. He was never ashamed even of that. Listen to what he said to Timothy. 2 Timothy 1.8. We just read it, but listen, let's finish the verse out. He said, don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. 
So don't be ashamed of me because I'm in prison. Verse 12, this is why I'm suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed. Verse 16, may the Lord show mercy to the household of of Onesiphorus, because he has a really hard name to say. (laughs) Why does he want the Lord to show mercy? Because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Can I just set you free? Stop hiding your scars. Scars are not a sign of defeat. Scars are a sign of victory. It's like when you see somebody that got, that got beat up, and you're like, dude, you look terrible. And they say, you should see the, right? They're not like, oh, I look terrible. They want you, like, check it out, man. I can't even see. Cut my eyes. Cut me, cut me. You're like, dude, you look horrible. Oh, no, man, I look great. You should see my wife's coworker. See how I went full circle there? Were you with me? Listen, knowing the story can change everything. I was, I'm reading a book called If God is Good by Randy Alcorn. And he talks about a daughter in this book. He talks about a teenage daughter whose mother has horrible burns on her arms. They're just horrible. They look so, And the daughter, he tells, is so ashamed of her mom. And she finally, one day, she looked at her mom and she said, Mom, please. Because her mom had reached out to grab something in public and so her arms were exposed. And she told her mom how she felt like, Mom, please stop. Just don't let people see that. It's so embarrassing to be with you. And the mom looked at her and said this. When you were a baby, I was outside in the yard and my neighbor screamed that the house was on fire. And I turned around and I saw my house on fire and you were in it. And, and I got, she was, in, she was in the house. She got out of the house and she was safe. And she said, I could have stayed out on the yard and I could have survived, but I knew that you were still in the house. And so I went back into the fire and I reached into the crib and I got you. And I carried you out as my arms were on fire. And I'm so glad that I saved you from the fire. And the daughter suddenly didn't see horrific, horrible scars She saw marks of beauty. Don't be ashamed of the sufferings of the body of Christ. They are beautiful marks. Paul said in Galatians 6.17 that he bore the marks of Jesus in his body. We bear the marks of Jesus. What are the marks of Jesus? The marks of suffering. Don't be ashamed of that. Man, some of you guys, you've got some amazing stories. Amazing. Share them. Speak up. Some of you are going to have amazing stories because I know the fires that you're reaching into right now. And they're burning you. And someday, on the other side, you're going to look at somebody and say, yeah, I am like this because I reached in to save you. Jude says this, that we should be running into the fire to snatch people from the fire. Man, I want to have a life. I want to have a life that is marked by that. That people would look at me and say, dude, how'd you get so jacked up anyway? Jesus gave me a passion for souls. 
Never be ashamed of what we face. And here's the last one. Never be ashamed of where we live. Um, I, I don't know how you were growing up. Um, I didn't have a lot of people over to my house. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it now, but it's because I didn't like my dad. I didn't like the way our house felt. I didn't always like people to be around my brother. Um, it's a little ashamed of that. Sometimes we get ashamed of where we live. The crazy thing is that as believers, and again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this kind of doesn't apply to you. But as believers, if you're following Jesus, this isn't where we live. Isn't, I mean, it's, I don't, it's hard to even like really get all in on an amen there, right? Because here's the crazy thing about, about believers. We spend so much time and money trying to fit in like we live here. When the Bible says we don't. We, we are so consumed with looking like everybody else that we're almost, it's like we're ashamed of where we live. I don't live here. I live with Jesus. I have another home. It's in heaven. I'm going to it. I'm not there yet. And a lot of days... If you're like me in Stanley County, remind me that we're not in heaven yet. But here, as good as this place is, listen, look, this is the most wonderful time of the year for me. I mean, outside of the fact that the Gamecocks got throttled on national TV, the Wolfpack barely won a game against a really bad team, Panthers kick off next week. I mean, look, I'm not making, this is boiled peanut season for me. Give me a big old pot of boiled peanuts with some salt in there. Let me slurp that salt water out. I'm in heaven, literally. As much as heaven as you can have here, that's me. I love this time of year. But as good as this is, it's nothing compared to where I really live. Sometimes I think we live as if we're ashamed of our home. Hebrews chapter 11. The author, you know, Hebrews 11 is about faith, and it's all, all these great men. And he wrote about great men and women of faith who were admittedly and unashamedly strangers and aliens on earth. It says this, let's just, in verse 13, it says, All these people who were still living by faith when they died, they did not receive the things that were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted, they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would never have an, they would never had opportunity to return. Instead, Hebrews eleven sixteen, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Can I just tell you this? This is not in your notes. You can just jot it down. Never be ashamed to want more. I don't mean in the American consumeristic mentality, but never be ashamed to want more. Never be ashamed to sit in a church and say, this is great, but I want more. Never be ashamed to enjoy the life that God's given you here, but look and say, but I want more. I want more. There's a better home than this. And that's what they're saying. We have a home that is better than this world. We should not be ashamed of that. So um, what's the takeaway from all this? Um, how, do we, how do our lives look because you sat through like a 25-minute sermon? 
So what is the question, right? Um, I think I've got an answer for you, but I've got it in video form. Oh, you know, we'll do that big idea after we, let's watch this quick video and then we'll do the big idea. Here's your big idea. When the gain exceeds the pain, we celebrate unashamed. When the gain exceeds the pain, we celebrate unashamed. People don't do splits in the grocery aisle because they found a 10% coupon for cheese. Am I right? Now, I would love for you to shoot that video. I would like to see that video. I'd like to see you go nuts like that grandma did at the grocery store because you saved $10 on your grocery bill. But you won't because you would feel like a fool. Because people would see you going crazy and they'd say, dude, like, what, did you just win a car? No, man, I just saved 10% on the cheese aisle. What? But when the gain exceeds the pain, when the gain exceeds your shame, man, your celebration will become crazy. This is why grown men go to football games and paint their bodies. This is why as long as they think they're going to win, it's worth it. And they will act the fool. I'm sure the alcohol helps a little with that. But for the most part, they're all in even before they started drinking. Because they weren't drunk when they painted their bodies. But when they paint their bodies and their team loses. Or even worse, when their team loses early in the game. And they have to sit there painted like that. Yeah, the gain did not exceed the pain, right? Suddenly that celebration doesn't make any sense. They better drink a lot more alcohol, right? When the pain that you're going through, in whatever you're going through, when it is exceeded by the gain, I'm not sure you'll be doing splits and I'm sure that those people have crazy personalities and that's what helps them do what they do but you will not be still there will be some element of insanity to how you celebrate because your your king has just lifted your head and it's worth far more than a car or even a million dollars Paul wrote In Philippians, that what we've gained in Christ is more valuable than even the best of the world. So, here's how I want us to end this morning. If Paul called everything a loss compared to the value of knowing Jesus, then even if you're going through the worst time of your life, right? And some of you are. You're going through the worst time of your life. Even if that's true, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've already, your gain has already exceeded any amount of pain you could ever face. Any amount. And so when you leave this morning, do I want you to go outside and do a split on the sidewalk? Is that how I want you to apply the message? Yes. Let's pray. You're not really going to do splits.
But here's the, here's the reality. People should look at our lives and they should say, I don't know what it is about that person, but they have found something. They have found something that has filled their life with an excitement and a passion that I do not have. When the gain exceeds the pain, we celebrate unashamed. I want you to go out in the city this week. I want you to be unashamed of your Savior. I want you to go out into the city this week. I want you to be unashamed of your church. I want you to go out and I want you to be unashamed that you are a part of a movement that is winning a city back to Jesus. I want you to be unashamed that you serve a king who still wants to save the lost. And I want you to be unashamed to tell them that. And even right now, before we pray, even right now, some of you are thinking, I don't know if I want to say that. They'll think I'm a freak. But when the gain exceeds the pain, celebration is unashamed. It's worth it. It's worth it.